you're unfamiliar with the New Testament, Galatians is one of the shorter letters. It's right after 2 Corinthians and right before Ephesians. If you're using a pew Bible, our passage tonight is found on page 975. We'll be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. This is our second part of a two-part sermon series here as we continue making our way through Galatians on this particular passage. So verses 16 through 25 of Galatians 5 are what I'm going to read. We're going to focus primarily tonight, however, on 22 through 25. So hear God's word for you tonight then, friends. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Please pray with me again briefly and let's ask God to help us. Father, as we look at this portion of your word, uh, just for a couple of minutes together tonight, we pray that you would help us to understand it rightly. And by that, I don't just mean that we would have an intellectual grasp on what Paul's teaching here, but that it would be a part of our lives that works to change us, O God. Help us to bear fruit. May these aspects and characteristics of the Spirit mark each one of us and May that happen more and more so as a result of what we experience in worship here tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you'll remember uh, our last time, if you were here with us last time we met, we looked at the first part of Galatians 5, this idea of walking by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16 and following, the text I just read. And, and remember the big question that we're trying to answer in these two sermons as we make our way through Galatians is, How do you change? Um, How can you really experience transformation in your life? Uh, How do you experience that sort of feeling where you look back on your life, say the last 10 years or the last 5 years or the last however many years, and you say, you know, wow, God's really done an amazing work in me. I've really really come a long way. I'm, I'm a different person than I used to be. How do you get that? And we talked a good bit about that last week. Uh, two weeks ago, I should say, last time we met. And we saw that the church, uh, many different people uh, give a lot of different options for how you really change, how you really experience lasting change. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only option that really basically changes our nature and therefore basically changes our desires and our affections and the way we live, the things we want and the things we do. Last time we looked primarily at... Uh, how that's evidenced in the fight that we fight against sin. And we really laid the main principle out 
I want to remind you of it really briefly here as we get going, found there in verses 24 and 25, that there's both an, a passive, a passivity, I should say, to our faith. We, as Paul says, belong to Jesus and we live by the Spirit. These things are things that have happened to us, but there's also an, an activity to our faith. There's a, a way in which we, we rely on Jesus and rest in Jesus passively, and there's a way in which we actually get up and work and fight against sin and the flesh and the devil and seek to, to, to be better, to obey more, to be faithful. And both of those things together, over a long period of time, serve to make a new person. They bring change. They bring renovation. They bring transformation. And so what we're going to do tonight is explore that process a little bit more. And particularly, we're going to ask a couple of diagnostic questions of ourselves and think together about how we know if we're really changing, how we know if we're really becoming different people, how we know if spiritual revolution is taking place in our hearts, or if we're just deceiving ourselves. But first, before we jump in there, let me remind you, if you haven't known with us, where we are in Galatians. Galatians is a letter, really briefly, that St. Paul wrote to a, a group of churches that he had planted in what's today South Turkey. And these churches really were, these churches were a social impossibility. They represented something that people in that day would have said could never happen. Jews and Gentiles sat down together at the same table and shared fellowship in the name of Jesus Christ. It was, it was a glorious thing. It was a wonderful unifying factor that served to further the church's mission and to more glorify the name of Jesus Christ. But some people had come into these churches, some new teachers after Paul had left, and they had begun teaching something a little bit different than what Paul taught. They said, we have gospel version 2.0. We have an updated edition of the gospel. Paul told you that you must place your faith in Jesus Christ in order to be a part of God's family, in order to be made right with God. And we agree that's true. But Paul didn't tell you everything. And these men that are known in the New Testament as the Judaizers went, along, went on to say, Paul said that Jesus is essential. We agree, but Jesus is not, they said, sufficient. He's not sufficient for you to be a part of God's family. He's not sufficient for you to be declared righteous. You also must become Jewish. You have to get circumcised. You have to observe boundary markers like Sabbath and certain feasts and going to temple. And when you start doing these things, then you'll be good to go with God and good to go with us. Well, Paul got wind of this teaching and got ticked off, as we've seen throughout Galatians. And he wrote Galatians probably in a little bit of an angry state of mind. <laughs> and uh, Galatians is his response to this teaching, which he considered to be a false gospel. He considered it to be diametrically opposed to what he had presented to them as being the truth of Christianity. And so as we've studied it together, we've seen some really powerful truths. And now as we're making our way to the end, we're, we're finding ourselves studying what it looks like to avoid the perils of legalism and to avoid the perils of license and to walk in the Spirit. So with that background really quickly in mind as we're all sort of caught up and hopefully on the same page, let's, let's look at this text, particularly verses 22 through 24. And again, as I mentioned, I want us to ask ourselves some diagnostic questions as we think about experiencing change that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring. And what I want to do is, is point out for you tonight and for me three things that true change will show, or three things about 
true change that Paul's showing us here in Galatians chapter 5. And here they are. True change, Paul's teaching, are, is gradual. True change is inevitable. And true change is connectional. Gradual, inevitable, connectional. All right? So let's look at those in turn and see what the Holy Spirit might do for us tonight. So first, I want you to see that true change is gradual. Look at verse 22. We've studied the rest of this. Paul's talking about walking by the Spirit. He's laid out here the works of the flesh and said, avoid those things. People that do these things, practice these things, live in this manner, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, contrasting with that, verse 22, the fruit... The fruit of the Spirit is, very famous verse here, love, joy, peace. There's all sorts of children's songs that have been written about this verse that probably help some of you remember them if you grew up in the church. But here's the question I want to ask. Why does Paul use that word, fruit? And what does it teach us? You know, why doesn't Paul, have you ever thought about this? Why doesn't Paul just say here, the characteristics of the Spirit, or the marks of the Spirit, or the attributes of the Spirit. Because after all, that's what he's describing. Why does he use the word fruit? Well, I think he's trying to teach us something very particular. He's trying to teach us, among other things, that true change is gradual. We see that in verse 24 as well, by the way, when he uses the verb, or excuse me, 25, when he uses the verb walk. You know, that very verb, verb again, is, is a metaphor that, that implies being on a journey. It implies that we're on a process that's, that's not yet complete, right? We're walking. It's a gradual process. But he's also implying that change is gradual when he uses this word fruit. Here's what I mean. Think about it. Rather than using marks of the Spirit or characteristics of the Spirit or attributes of the Spirit, Paul uses this word fruit. He deliberately invokes this agricultural metaphor that in an agrarian society, like the society he was writing to, everyone would have immediately sort of had all sorts of images conjured up in their mind when they heard that word. And even for us, who aren't in an agricultural society, we can make the same points. We can understand it as well. You know, think about it this way. Um, if you buy a plot out here in our community garden, and you put some carrots and some lettuce and some celery and some potatoes and some marijuana. Oh, no, not marijuana. Um, some other things that uh, you should be growing, even if they're legal, you should be growing. And, and, and then you just sort of take out your lawn chair and you sit down and, and watch. And then someone comes along who might have the plot next to you and they say, hey, what are you doing, man? It's 104 degrees. Uh, what are you doing out here? He's like, oh, I'm gardening. I'm watching the fruit grow. I'm, I'm, I'm being a gardener. I'm I'm waiting for my vegetables, vegetables to sprout up. You know, you're, you're going to get some strange looks, and rightly so, because fruit doesn't just all of a sudden spoof, appear. We, we know that we can't, like, literally watch fruit grow. It's, it's a gradual process, you see. And really, that's the case with anything that's organic. <laughs> um, some of you who have young children, like I do, you know, you don't literally, although it when they're the first year, it's, it's, you can almost literally see them growing, but you don't literally sit there and watch your children grow. That's why when a grandson or a granddaughter walks into a grandparent's house after they haven't seen them in six months or so, an eight-year-old, they say, wow, you've grown three inches. It just sort of happens. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh my goodness, over time, you've sort of, you've sprouted up. Organic living things grow and change gradually. It's a process. It takes time, which is exactly what Paul's trying to teach us in using the word fruit. And so one thing we can learn about true life change, about being transformed by the gospel, is that it's gradual. 
It's a process. It takes time. God doesn't save you and then wave his magic wand and poof, you're immediately perfect and completely sanctified and the game's over. That's not how the Christian life works. The Christian life is one of usually gradual, over-the-time change. It's, it's not a microwave scheme. It's a crockpot scheme, the Christian life. Change is gradual. And so Paul's telling us this about true change. I think he's deliberately using some of these metaphors that he uses, like fruit and the idea of walking, to encourage us. Because oftentimes, as we reflect on our lives and as we attempt to do the sort of healthy diagnostics, not some sort of morbid Um, morbid looking at ourselves, but a healthy diagnostic of our own lives, of our own spiritual health, it's easy for us to get frustrated. And we talked about this a little bit last time. It's easy for us to fall into that habit of thinking, I'm never going to change. I'm I'm just not growing at the pace at which I would like to grow. I'm still seeing works of the flesh, and I'm not seeing fruit of the Spirit to the degree that I would like to see them. It's, It's frustrating. And Paul's saying, well, change is gradual. Fruit Take time to grow. It's a a process that requires seasons of life. It requires watering. It requires sunlight. It requires patience. And oftentimes we aren't patient. So be encouraged then then by, by this first point about true change being gradual. Paul is attempting here on the one hand to tell us, don't get frustrated when tomorrow all of the sin struggles that you've been having your entire life aren't immediately just gone. Don't be surprised, even when you've been, you know, you've had a great quiet time, or you've, you've listened to a wonderful sermon, or you had a great worship experience, the next day you wake up and the same things are happening. The same issues are you're being temp- or what you're being tempted with. You're, you're having the same relational struggles. That's the way it goes. And over time, over time, after a while, change happens. It's fruit. It's not a microwave meal where you have chicken nuggets in 30 seconds. It's fruit. It's healthy, organic change. So first thing, true change is gradual. But second thing, true change is inevitable. And you have to take these two together. True change is gradual, and true change is inevitable. So some of you, if you're like me, and I know you are, um, hear that idea that true change is gradual, that it's not going to all get better tomorrow, that it's going to take time, that I'm still going to struggle, and you think, all right, good to go. Thanks for relieving my conscience, Pastor Luke. I know it's going to take a while, so I'm just going to sort of chill out, sit back, lay down, relax, take it easy. My Christian life is going to be more like being on a cruise ship than being on a battleship, right? We, we tend to twist the truth that change is gradual, that sanctification is a process, into us not really working to fight the flesh and crucify the flesh and put to death the misdeeds of the body. And so we have to have this second point too. Not only is true change gradual, it's also inevitable, which is why Paul says it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just fruit generally. It's fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. And the implication is that if one has the Holy Spirit, which every Christian has, by the way, according to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, and many other passages, if you profess to be a Christian, if you claim that Jesus is your Lord, if you say to others and say to yourself that God has changed you and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, then eventually you're going to see changes in your life. These things are going to come inevitably. 
And so here's where the text doesn't maybe let us off the hook in the way that we like to twist it, but it actually challenges us to a pretty deep level. I want you to just look at those, ver- those words there in verse 22 and 23 and think about if you're seeing those things in your life. Think about what Paul says there in verse 24. Are you willing to say that you have crucified and are crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires in your daily existence? Verse 25, are you able to honestly say, I am striving not just to live by the Spirit, but to actively walk by the Spirit? You see, if Jesus is really at work in your life, these fruit are going to appear inevitably. And it's dangerous for us to it's dangerous for us not to hear that because, because of this. You know, it's easy if you go to a swimming pool not to swim, not to jump in the water. But if you're there long enough, you're going to get wet. You're going to get splashed. You might even take your shoes off and, you know, put your, shoe, put your feet in the, in the water. You might even bring a towel. It's easy to look like a swimmer at the swimming pool and never having swum, swam, swimmed. Someone correct me on that later. I know you will. Um, similarly, it's easy to get, to get splashed with Jesus and to dip your feet into the Jesus water and to bring your Jesus towel with the nice little Christian embroidery to the Christian swimming pool and never really jump in and never really be engulfed by the Spirit. It's easy to have a little bit of Jesus on you but not be soaked with him. Another metaphor uh, to make this point that I heard from a pastor named Liam Gallagher at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. He, he would say something like this. He said this in a sermon on, <clears throat> excuse me, on John, he preached on John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, it's one thing to be a piece of fruit that's growing and getting its life from the vine, and it's, it's another thing to be an ornament on a Christmas tree. Um, sometimes I guess it's possible for you to take an ornament thinking it's a real piece of fruit. It's on the tree, but it's not organically connected to it. It's just sort of attached with a pen. But it's an entirely different thing to, to derive all of your life from the vine and to be growing as fruit. So what are you? Are you just sort of getting splashed by Jesus? Or have you jumped into the deep end? Are you just an ornament hanging on the Christmas tree? Or are you bearing fruit because you're connected to the vine you see if those latter things are the case you're going to see change and so let this text then not let you off the hook but challenge you and remember what we saw with the works of the flesh we saw that most of those sins most of most of those fleshly desires were communal And we see the same thing here with the fruit of the Spirit. And so as we think about our own lives individually, we should also think about our community, our church here at Rincon Mountain, and ask questions like this. Do we see more and more love for one another in this church? Do we see a more more settled joy in Jesus Christ in our lives individually and communally? Do we see a growing peace and patience with one another, particularly with those people who might differ with us on secondary issues in this church? Are we gentle and faithful, both? Do we both 
correct one another faithfully and yet do it gently. Are these fruit showing up? If you're in Christ and walking by the Spirit, if you say you have faith, if you say Jesus has changed you, then over time, Jesus is going to change you. It is inevitable. Yes, it's gradual. Yes, it's not going to happen tomorrow. But in 20 years, you should be a different person than you are now. And you'll know that you're becoming a different person, not just sort of when you wake up tomorrow morning, but when you're experiencing trial. And I hear a lot of you say things like this all the time. You'll say, you know, I can't believe you'll be going through something difficult, a, a, a trial, a significant issue comes up in your life, and you'll say something like, you know, I, I could not have dealt with this five years ago. Um, I'm amazed that God has brought me through this. And so when you experience trial, when you experience difficulty, when you experience suffering, and when you have to sacrifice, is when you'll be able to see. That's when the acid test becomes real, that you're actually bearing fruit, that you're changing. So ask yourself, You know what? No, don't ask yourself. Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your parents on the way home tonight. I'll do it if you do it. Um, Are you seeing, are you seeing change in me, honey? You've been with me for a while now. You know all, I'm not asking if you see the works of the flesh. I know you see those, honey. Do you see more and more fruit of the Spirit in my life? We can easily misdiagnose. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm great at misdiagnosing myself. I'm excellent at diagnosing everybody else. You tend to be the same way. And so ask those closest to you to diagnose you lovingly and gently. Am I seeing change? Because true change, these fruit coming into your life, yeah, it's going to happen gradually, but also it's going to happen inevitably. Third point, and we're done. One more point. We've seen that true change is gradual fruit walking, but it's also inevitable. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Those who bear good fruit, you you know the root by the fruit, right? If you have a good root, you're going to bear good fruit. If the tree's alive, it's going to bear good fruit. If the tree's dead, it's going to not bear a fruit, or the fruit's going to be rotten. So we've seen that change is inevitable because the Spirit, if He's really at work in you, is going to produce these things. And then the last thing we see, and this is is a profound point, I think, and not because it's for me, but uh, is that true change is connectional. And as I mentioned, I'm, I'm indebted here, let me just say, to, to two guys. One of them's dead. His name's Jonathan Edwards. He has an incredible sermon in a book called Charity and Its Fruits on this text. And uh, another guy who's alive named Tim Keller, who's really just riding Edwards' coattails. And so I'm just going to go ahead and hitch on and ride Keller's t- coattails, who's riding Edwards' coattails. They, they've really helped me on this point. Uh, you can read any, let me tell you what the point is. You can read any commentary and they'll point out this very strange little phenomenon in verse 22. So let me get grammatical with you here for just a minute. But the fruit, verse 22, everybody with me? The fruit, singular. That's a singular noun. The fruit of the Spirit is. And then we have a long list of words to form the predicate of that sentence. So the predicate is plural. The subject is singular. Paul would have failed a a third-grade grammar test here, right? It's not the case when he talks about the works of the flesh. Look back up in 19. The works, plural, works of the flesh are evident. And then he gives a big, long list. But here, the fruit, singular. Fruit, not fruits. Fruit. The one singular fruit of the Spirit is, and then he gives this long list. Why? Because fruit is connectional. Or as Edwards put it, it's concatenational. Don't ask me what that means. Ask Edwards when you get to heaven. I think this is what he meant, that 
all of the fruit show up together. And true change means all of these things are showing up together in your life. Uh Uh-oh. Here's why that's that's something we need to get. Here's why. Our tendency, and my tendency, is to look at this list and to try and do a diagnosis and to think, okay, I'm I'm doing well in patience, one for ten or however many. I'm doing okay in kindness. I'm, oh, gentleness, terrible, self-control, no, love, B plus, joy, D minus. And Paul's saying, no, <laughs> you can't get away with that. These fruit are a take it or leave it bunch. They all come together. You know, these things aren't spiritual gifts. You know, all of you have some spiritual gifts and not others, and that's okay. These things are spiritual fruit, singular. And true growth means that all of them manifest themselves. And so we tend to think, you know, I'm great at self-control. Self-control is a spiritual fruit that I've got down. I get up at five every morning and I have a quiet time. I don't indulge in chocolate or candy, or red meat, or wine, and, and I, you know, exercise seven days a week. Self-control is something I've got down, uh, but, you know, you know, gentleness, that's something I, I don't really have well. Um, love, eh, I'm okay there. That doesn't work, because you see, when you have, when you think you have self-control, but you don't have love, you, you don't really have self-control. You know what that is? Self-control without love, that's pride. That's not self-control. Self-control without love is not self-control. So the person that thinks, I'm doing well, I get up at 5 a.m., I have my quiet time, I'm doing this, this, and this, looks da- and looks down on the people that aren't doing it and thinks that the people that aren't doing it aren't quite as spiritually mature as he or she is, that person isn't growing to the extent that he or she thinks they're growing because they think they have self-control, but they don't really because love's not coming along with it. You see, these things all come together. Let's take another one. Some of you uh, are really gentle. I mean, gentle sweet, lovely people. Frankly, you would probably be gentle if you weren't a Christian. It's just a part of your DNA. It's your, your Myers-Briggs tests will show every time. Gentle, right? But, but you, you really have a hard time with conflict. You avoid conflict at all costs. When you see a friend or a family member getting themselves into trouble, you don't deal with it when you should because you're so gentle, because you're so meek, because you're so mild. So you look at this and say, yeah, I've got great gentleness. Faithfulness, not really. You know what? That's not gentleness. Faithfulness, gentleness without faithfulness is not gentleness. It's cowardice. Gentleness without faithfulness, gentleness without the willingness to confront sin, gentleness without the willingness to, to have a difficult conversation isn't gentleness. And it's not evidence of change. These things come together. Some of you think, man, I've got joy. Joy, I'm good. I raise my hands every Sunday morning, and we're Presbyterians. I show joy in worship. My hands are up, my eyes are closed. I have wonderful worship experiences. I express visibly and audibly my joy in Jesus. And not just that, I mean, I feel happy to be a Christian. I am grateful to be a Christian. I have joy. Patience? No. You know what? Joy without patience is not joy. It's not. Because they're connected. There's a concatenation, to use Edward's word, of fruit. 
Joy without patience means that you're not, you're not really joyful. You probably just have maybe an outgoing personality or your emotions are more external than they are internal, but you can't deal with suffering well. As soon as a bad thing happens to you, you get really down. You, you have no patience. You want to be perfect tomorrow. You, you just have a hard time with patience. You know what? Joy without patience isn't joy. The fruit are connected. They go together. It's a package deal, folks. The fruit of the Spirit are not a la carte. It's not a Chinese food buffet. You can't just take one and skip the other. And when you see true change happening in your life, I'm not saying that all these things at the exact same moment on a bar graph are going to show up, but these things will all be evidencing themselves in your heart. So, diagnose yourself and lovingly gently ask your spouse to lovingly gently diagnose you. Are you seeing change? It's gradual, it's inevitable, and it's connectional. If you are, praise Jesus. Continue to rest in the gospel and to fight out of the gospel. If you're not, begin to rest in the gospel, understanding that your identity has been found and is found in Christ, and begin to fight out of that identity against sin. There's a passivity, remember, and an activity to the fight of faith, to Christian growth. Really, the only way to change, the only way to diagnose yourself in these ways and see good things over time is to believe the gospel and to live in light of the gospel. So is that taking place with you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together again, uh, sitting under the word, uh, being convicted by St. Paul's words to us here at the end of Galatians 5. And we do pray that fruit of the Spirit would show up in our lives as a church, in our lives individually. We ask that more and more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control would define who we are. It would define the way we interact with others. And Father, help us not to be discouraged because true change is gradual, but also help us to be motivated and challenged because true change is inevitable. And Father, help us not to overlook a single one of these things, but to pray for them and seek them by faith because true change is connectional. The fruit is singular. And all of these things will manifest themselves as we grow in grace. So Lord, will you do that work in us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.